if you're just joining us this morning, we've been in a series for a few weeks now called Who is God? And uh, this series is all about answering that question, who is God? And we've kind of stressed each week that your response to that question just might be the most important thing about you. Because what you believe about God will determine the way you relate to him. How you perceive God to be will determine how you approach him, how you talk to him, how you interact with him. And the way you see God will largely dictate the way you see the world, and it will dictate the way you relate to the world. Uh, What you think about when you think about God just might be the most important thing about you. So we've covered a few things in this series already, and in week one we kind of talked about how throughout life we can actually start to see life, um, God through a distorted lens. We can see God through a distorted lens based on the experiences we've had in life and how we interpret them, based on the experiences we've had in church and how our church has represented God, based on our experiences in our family of origin, based on relationships we've had, based on the culture we live in. And as a result of all these factors, we can pick up ideas about God that aren't actually God. And so the first week was just bringing an awareness to that and stressing the importance that we learn to see God for who he really is. We learn to replace perhaps the distorted images of God that we've picked up with what the Bible would say about God or what Jesus would reveal God to be so we can begin to relate to him out of truth. So that was week one. Following that week, we began to look at different aspects of God's character. Uh, In the second week, I talked about the God who knows you. The God who knows you. Sometimes we can feel like God's distant or God's aloof or perhaps we're unimportant, but the Bible reveals a God who knows us intimately, that made us, that created us, that dreamt over us, that planned every day in our life, that knows us like no one else, and he cares about us, and he's with us. So this idea that God is far away and we're not important, it's a lie, God knows you. That's what we talked about in week two. And then last week, Mike talked about the God who provides. You know, in our culture, often rulers and kings or government figures, they are often looking to take from us. They're looking to take from us, usually for their own good, and sometimes we can import that into our relationship with God. Because authority figures on earth are usually looking to take, we can start to think God's the same, but God is the opposite. God is the God who provides, and he provides what we need. Sometimes we have an idea of what we need, but God knows better, and God is providing for you because he's a God who provides. And this week, we're going to be exploring the God you can trust. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is The God You Can Trust, uh, and I'm just going to pray before I get into that this morning. Lord, would you bring truth to who you are this morning? You are so amazing. You are so full of love. You're so beautiful. Would you help us to see you for who you are? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever been let down in life? Have you ever had your trust betrayed? Has someone in life ever made a commitment to you and not following through? I bet every person in this room would have experienced that, where someone, you were counting on someone and they didn't come through. Or someone said something and then they didn't do it. Or perhaps it was a really big betrayal. I bet everyone here has had their trust betrayed at some point in their life. I'd go even further to say I believe a lot of the relationships in the culture we live in are marked more by distrust than trust. If you look at our current cultural environment, 
I would say that distrust is at an all-time high. The government and media are distrusted like never before. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Back in 2005, a research poll in America revealed that only 22% of those surveyed tended to trust the media, only 8% trust political parties, only 27% trust the government, and only 12% trust big companies. And I would suggest that it's eroded even further since then. Distrust is rife everywhere you look. It's, it's rife in workplaces. Research would tell us the number one reason people will leave their job is because they've got a bad relationship with their boss. Distrust is rife in the family unit. One in every two marriages these days will end in divorce. And distrust is even rife among individuals. Listen to this. Research studies in the 1990s and 2000s found that 43% of liberal art students, 52% of education students, 63% of medical and law students, and 75% of business students acknowledged that they cheated in order to improve their odds of getting into further education. Doesn't it give you great confidence to know that when you're going under the knife, you got a 50% chance your doctor cheated. (laughs) Matt, did you cheat to get into medical school? (laughs) We're all about authenticity here, so. (laughs) Distrust is prevalent in our society. Everywhere you look, and at times, if we're honest, we can't even fully trust ourselves. Raise your hand if you have made a New Year's resolution that you didn't fulfill. Most of us, or raise your hand if you have made a commitment to someone at some point in your life and you haven't been able to fulfill it. Everyone in this room, and if you didn't raise your hand, you're either very shy or you are a liar. Um, (laughs) We betray our own trust all the time. And so as a result of this distrust we experience in culture, with our relationships, with society at large, with individuals, and even in our own life, we can start to import that into our relationship with God. If our relationships in this life aren't marked by perfect trust, we we might not even know it, but we can start to approach God without perfect trust. How is he any different? In my relationships on the earth, I've had it when when people don't come through, so why should I fully trust God? And we can be guarded. We've almost been conditioned to not fully trust God. But I want to let you know this morning, God is different to humans. God is different to humans, and you can trust God. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is not human. God speaks and he comes through. He doesn't waver. He doesn't go up and down. He's not unreliable. He's a solid rock of truth that you can bet your life on. And you can't find that anywhere else. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. He is a firm foundation. He doesn't waver. He doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't promise something and then and doesn't come through. He is a God you can trust. You can trust God. So that begs the question, what does trust mean? What does trust mean? The famous uh, author and educator Stephen Covey defines trust this way. Simply put, trust means confidence. The opposite of trust is distrust. It's suspicion. When you trust people, you have confidence in them 
in their integrity and their abilities. When you distrust people, you are suspicious of them, of their integrity, their agenda, their capabilities, or their track record. Do you trust God? Do you trust his integrity and his ability? As Covey said, trust is the product of one's character and one's competence. And there must be both character and competence in order for us to trust. I'm going to give you an example. Say I was a business owner and I had an employee and they had the best character. They were happy-go-lucky. They were honest. They were full of joy. They had high integrity. But they were useless at their job and uh, missed the mark, didn't follow through. I'm not going to trust them. It doesn't matter how great their character is. If they aren't competent, the trust isn't going to be there. Equally, I might have an employee that is competent, that is the most excelling uh, employee in the company that's intelligent, but if I've got a suspicion that he has an agenda, or if I don't trust his character, or if I learn that he's been dishonest, I'm not going to trust him. You need both character and competence to trust. And so in order to trust God, we have to have faith or confidence in his character, but we also have to have faith and confidence in his word or in his ability. And I want to tell you this morning that God is a God you can trust. You can trust both his character and you can trust his competence. And I'm going to be talking about both of those this morning. Let's start with the character of God. How do we know that God wants the best for our lives? How do we know that he has our best interests at heart? How do we know that he has a pure motive? How do, we, how do we know that his character is good? And the answer to this question is we look at the cross of Jesus Christ. We look at the cross of Jesus Christ. God didn't just say he loved us from a distance. He didn't just profess his love from afar, but he came. He entered our world. He took on human limitations. He lived as a servant. He suffered. He endured. He was tortured. And he hung up on the cross for me and for you. If that doesn't speak about his character, I don't know what else will. He loves you. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't have a bunch of people lining up to pay for my sins. <laughs> no one has sacrificed as much for you as God. Not your parents, not your spouse, not your friends. No one has sacrificed as much for you as God. And he did it when we were at our worst. When you were at your worst, listen to Romans 5, it says this, when we were utterly helpless, when we were dead in sin, when we were rebelling, when we didn't deserve it, when we were far from God, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, like a very good person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, maybe Mother Teresa or something. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while you were at your worst, while you were down and out, while you were turned from God, while you were stuck in your sin, that is when Christ hung up on the cross for you and said, I love you, you are mine, I came for you, I care about you, I want to redeem you. That is the character of God. You know, when we start to doubt God's character, we need to go back to the cross. Man, if he didn't love me, why would he die for me on the cross? If he doesn't want the best for me, why would he go through that on the cross? You know, Romans 8 says this, since he did not spare even his own son, his most prized possession, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? 
if he gave up his most prized possession, the thing that was most dear to his heart, won't he freely give us whatever else we need? You can trust God's character. You can trust God's character, but I want to tell you, you can also trust his ability. God isn't just loving, he's also faithful, and he's reliable, and he's trustworthy, and you can have confidence in his word. All throughout the Bible, when God speaks, he acts. When God speaks, he acts. He has got a track record of being faithful. Let's just look at a few. Sarah received her promised son at 90 years of age. The Israelites were delivered from Egypt. They did inherit the promised land. They did return from exile. They were gathered into a nation. David did become the king of Israel. Jesus Christ did come and die for the sins of the world and establish the kingdom of God. Every time God speaks, he fulfills it but he fulfills it in his own time. Listen to Joshua's parting words to Israel. After God had led the Israelites into the promised land and driven out their enemies and given them rest, this is what Joshua would say on his deathbed. He said, now I am about to go the way of all the earth. He's saying, now I'm about to die. I'm about to leave this world. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Not one. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. You know, at the end of his life, at the end of his time, he would look back and the conclusion he would come to would be, God has been faithful. Everything he said has come to pass. Now, did he, would he have felt that way throughout his life? I'm not sure. When there, the, when there were those battles with, with the enemies, I'm sure that he would have had doubt is God going to come through? Is God faithful? But when he got to the end and the writing was on the wall, he looked back and said, God was faithful. Sometimes we see God's faithfulness on the other side. We look back and we see he came through on his word. God can be trusted. And just like for Joshua, God has made promises to us in the Bible, precious promises to us, and these can be trusted. You know, in the Bible before Jesus came, there were 328 different prophecies that he would fulfill in coming as the Messiah. Some of these prophecies were made over a thousand years before he came. They were made by people who didn't know each other in different countries, different languages, and they were specific. You know, and the probability of these being fulfilled has been calculated and studied scientifically. There was a U.S. professor who thought, I want to test the probability of Jesus or, or one man coming and fulfilling these prophecies. Uh, and he did it scientifically. He took 600 of his students, and he said, I want you to study these probabilities. Uh, and uh, he told them to make his esti their estimates conservatively, and after they came to their conclusion, he presented it to the science board, and they verified that his methods were valid and dependable in regard to what, they, what he presented. And what they found was amazing. They took just eight of these 328 prophecies, just eight, ones like where he would be born, that he would be betrayed by a friend, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, that he would die on a cross, that he would die next to uh, other sinners, not other sinners, he would die next to sinners. And after examining only eight prophecies, they found that conservatively speaking, the chance of one man fulfilling these eight prophecies is one out of 10 to the power of 17. Now, if you want to look at how big that number is, uh, Jesse's going to put it on the slide. This is the chance that Jesus would fulfill eight 
out of 328 prophecies he fulfilled. Now, just to illustrate how big that number is, I'm in my zone because I'm a maths teacher. Um, thank you, God. Um, if you took that amount of silver coins, 10 to the power of 17 silver $2 coins, and you lay them flat, you would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. And bear in mind that Texas is almost three times bigger landmass than all of New Zealand. And so if you had all of those, if you picked one coin, marked an X on it, put it in randomly, stirred them all up, blindfolded a man and said, I want you to pick one coin, the chance that he would get that one coin with the X is the same probability that Jesus fulfilled those eight prophecies. Isn't the word of God amazing? Isn't the word of God amazing? This is a divine book. It is not false. It is a supernatural book. God's word is amazing, and you can bet your life on it. You can bet your life on it. Now, let's go to 48 out of the 328 prophecies. Look at this number, 10 to the power of 157. That's, not even a, that, that's only just over a fifth. Or that, that's not even a fifth of 328. You know, God's word can be trusted. The professor who conducted that study, he came to this conclusion, and I quote, any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact, perhaps proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. He can be trusted. You can bet your life on him. Any, everything that's written in this book, it's the best way of life. What he says about sex, what he says about money, what he says about relationships, what he says about marriage, what he says about loving your neighbor, it is the word of God. And if we want to be people of God, we need to start basing our lives on this book. We need to be in this book because it can be trusted. If I could just get Simone back up onto the stage. You know, I've talked about God's character being able to be trusted. I've talked about his word being able to be trusted. But I trust God because I have seen his faithfulness in my own life. I've seen it. I've experienced it. You know, it was only less than six years ago, I was flat on my back, literally, homebound, uh, in a chronic pain condition that I didn't know how to get better from. My hope quotient was very low. I was depressed. And I was right at the end of my tether. But I want to tell you, God had been working in my life. And he was with me and he'd been working long before. And maybe you're in a situation like that. And I want to tell you, God hasn't abandoned you. God hasn't given up on you. You might be unwell physically. God is working in your life and he still has a plan for you. You know, and towards the end of that year, uh, I felt that I needed to take a step of faith. I felt that I needed to take a step of faith. And I still had all the symptoms physically and mentally, but I enrolled to go to teacher's college. Uh, and the reason why I chose that, if I'm honest, it wasn't through a passion about being a teacher. It was because I knew that if I, had, if I could just survive that year, I would have a qualification that would allow me to relief teach. And if I relief teach, I could work limited hours. I wouldn't have, uh, I'd probably have some horrible days, but I wouldn't, have, uh, I wouldn't have the responsibility of running a classroom. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have like a, a, the pressures of a normal job. And so I stepped out and I, I went to university and I want to tell you that was one of the toughest years of my life. My body was screaming out. Uh, my mental health was poor. There were lots of tears. There were so many times where I was just going to throw it all in and say, I'm done. And I, I think if I hadn't have got that, it would have been really hard to get back up because I'd had so much disappointment. And uh, God held me through that year. He held me. It wasn't easy, but he held me as I trusted him. 
And at the end of that year, while I was still studying, I got offered a part-time job at Trident High School. And I thought, man, this isn't what I signed up for. I just did my study, but I never wanted to be a teacher. And uh, I decided to take it. I decided to take it. I heard, I felt God say, do you trust me, Sam? Do you trust me? And I took a step out. I still had all the pain. I still had all the emotions. There were days where I'd feel physically sick. I was, a, I was a wreck, to be honest, but I stepped out and I trusted him. And there was a faithfulness there, and he brought me through it. At the end of that year, I got offered a full-time job at Triton, and this was where the rubber really met the road. It's like, man, God, why did you give me a job? Like, I just want to relieve, man. And uh, I felt like God said, do you trust me, son? Do you trust me? Maybe my plans for your life are bigger than yours. Do you trust me? And I stepped out and I did it, and it was hard. It was really hard. There were so many rocky moments going like this, but there was a faithfulness of God to hold me. There was a faithfulness. I got two years through that, and then our founding pastors here decided to go back to Tauranga, and I felt a strong call of God to pastor this church. And I was scared. I was young. It was only about four years ago that I was flat on my back. I didn't want to step out and say it because I didn't want to fail. And God said, do you trust me, son? Do you trust me? You know, the first sermon I ever preached was the day I got inducted. He said, do you trust me, son? And I decided to trust him. And he's been faithful and it's been hard. There's been times I've wanted to throw it in. (laughs) But he's faithful. He's faithful. And as you bet your life on him and as you trust him, he'll come through. He makes a way. He is faithful. God is faithful. We've seen it financially. You know, when we started tithing, Samantha and I, I was on a sickness benefit with work and income. Samantha was working part-time as a dance teacher. We were saving for a wedding, and it would have seemed like the most irrational thing to do. But we said, this is what the Word of God says. He tells us to trust Him. He tells us to trust Him. He tells us to put Him to the test. And we started tithing, and I can honestly say God's provision has been one of the biggest anchors in my life. Whether we've been on one income, studying, as we've honoured him with our first and best, the first tenth, he's provided all the way through. And that's something I can go back to because I've seen his word in action. I want to let you know you can trust God. You can trust God with your life. You can trust God. He, he has the best plan for your life. Just want to recap where we've been this morning. We've been talking about the God you can trust. We've been talking about that Often our relationships in this life can be marked by distrust and we import that into our relationship with God. But God's different. He's not human. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not a son of man that he should repent. Has he not spoken and will he not do? His word will not return to him void. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is settled forever in heaven. It is the word of life. We can trust both his character and his competence. Look at the cross. Man, if he didn't want the best for your life, why would he go through that? You know, when we're doubting God's character, when we can't understand his word, what about the cross? What about when he hung up there for me on my worst? And his word always prevails. You know, I've got a few questions for us to reflect on this morning. They're going to come up on the screen if you want to write them down or take a photo. I encourage you to reflect on these and talk about them. Talk about them in your small group. The first one is, do I trust that God has my best interests at heart? 
do I really trust that he's not trying to take for me, take from me or make my life less? Do I really trust that he wants the best for me and that his best might be different to my definition of best? But do I trust that he has my best interests at heart? The second one is, do I trust that God's word is reliable? Do, do I believe that I can trust this and put it into action? Do I trust that it's reliable? And finally, ironically, I believe this will give you the answer of the first two questions. What does the way I live my life communicate about my trust in God? What does the way I live my life communicate about the, my trust in God? You know, we're going to finish this morning by taking communion together. And communion is when we remember Jesus. It's a physical visible reminder that we literally partake of each week to remember Jesus, to remember his life, to remember his death, to remember his love, to remember his sacrifice. If you're new to this, the cracker represents his body that was broken for us. The juice represents the his blood that was spilt. And as you take this this morning, I just want you to reflect on those two things. Reflect on God's love for you. It's literally there. Look at it. He died for you. He hung up there for you. He gave himself for you. And also reflect on his word. He, he showed up. He came. He lived. He conquered. You know, let God speak to you in this moment. And it might be a time for you to just gently re-surrender your life to God and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you everything of who I am because you can be trusted. You know, God might be speaking to you about something else. Just use this moment. So there's some stations at the back and there's going to be some stations at the front. And um, if we just stand to our feet, I'm going to finish by praying over us and then we can take communion together. Dear Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can be in a relationship with you. You are amazing, and we're so blessed to be called yours. And Father, as a community, we choose to re-surrender our lives to you. We choose to trust you with the entirety of our lives. We choose to believe that you know better. We choose to believe that you love us. We choose to believe that your plan is the best plan. We choose to believe that you're faithful, even though we might not be seeing what we want to see now. We choose to be anchored in your word. We choose to speak your word. We choose to bet our lives on it. I bless each person here. In the name of Jesus, amen.